on GDC Podcast, episode 24, we have indie game marketing consultant Chris Zukowski. He talks about best practices when trying to get the word out for your indie game in this impossibly crowded market. He also feels a veritable barrage of questions from a live chat audience. This episode was recorded live during GDC Showcase earlier this year and is brought to you by Polystream. This episode was also recorded before Gamasutra became GameDeveloper.com. So when we say Gamasutra, just replace that in your brain with Game Developer. Back in a sec. your co-host Chris Graft, editor-in-chief of Gamasutra. Uh, we do have a great guest coming up, but first, here's my co-host, Alyssa McAloon. Hey, Alyssa. Hello. Um, yes, I am Alyssa McAloon. I don't know why I pronounce my name like that when I'm on camera. Uh, I'm Alyssa McAloon. I'm the news editor and associate publisher over at Gamasutra and a podcast co-host. Um, so I will introduce our next guest here. He is an in, uh, independent game marketing consultant and an indie game developer. He's known around the industry, not just for his consulting business, but also for his highly rated GDC talks on marketing and tips on effective marketing on Gamasutra.com. Um, he's also giving a talk at the virtual GDC 2021 this summer. And he says, marketing your fun, can, marketing your fun, marketing your game can be just as fun as making it. Uh, let's welcome Chris Zukowski. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I practiced and I got your name wrong. <laughs> oh, you did great, great. Yeah, I'm Chris Zukowski. Um, I run a website called howtomarketagame.com and where I teach you how to market a game. Um, and uh, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. And and um, and I'm here um, to talk about myself, but really I want to tell everybody listening how to market your game better. Um, I hope you get some great questions. I'll be answering that. But like uh, like Alyssa said, this can be fun. I, you know, it seems frustrating at first, but that's the whole reason I write the blogs that I do. Um, I do these talks is just so that kind of demystify some of this stuff and kind of give you the system that it takes to kind of understand this. And we're all learning. Uh, there's a lot of like research that I do where it's just trying to like uncover the mystery of how marketing works and why people buy games and why people don't buy some games. So <laughs> that's uh, that's my uh, mission here. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, my favorite uh, podcast note that we have for you here, uh, Zukowski um, is spelled out <laughs> Z-O-O-C-O-W-. I'm so bad with names. I'm bad with my own name sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I just like it. I mean, w before we went live too, we found out that in the game industry, there's another Chris Zukowski who's an environmental artist that you said? Oh yeah, yeah, and he's good. He's really good. So look for the non-marketing Chris Zukowski. Uh, follow him on Twitter. He's oh, really I'm sure he is, but your SEO completely kills the other Chris uh, Zukowski, so. Um, which is good, you're a marketer. So like, can you kind of give a little bit of your, of your background? Uh, you're not just a marketer, you also are an independent game developer, right? Yeah, that's kind of how I came to this. So. Um, Long time ago, I used to be in boring old corporate America selling storage servers, that kind of stuff. Uh, actually, I have a computer science background. So, um, but you know, I had the dream, just like everybody does, to make your own game. And uh, 
Well, I've been doing this for 10 years, like just making my own games, mostly yeah. platformers, you know, small little games. I actually released one on Xbox Indies way back in the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's frustrating when, you know, they don't sell. So I just kind of took the initiative and said, like, okay, I'm just going to break this down and just study, 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 figure out what people are doing right and wrong. And I just started writing, uh, posting on Gamma Sutra. That's where I really mm -hmm. got my start. So thanks, uh, <laughs> Alyssa and Chris, for, for allowing me to post that. So, uh, yeah, I just would post articles on there, stuff that I would found, little experiments that I did. And then uh, eventually people said, hey, do you want to speak for us, you know, fly out, give us a talk about what you've learned. I did that. And then eventually worked my way up to give a talk at um, GDC 2019, I think it was, on email marketing, which sounds really boring, but uh, people seem to like the talk. So, people love that uh, talk. Yeah. It, it's kind of like email marketing. And then it's like, is it flashy? No, but everybody, everybody loves it. Like you have a blog on Gamma Sutra too, all about it. And it's, it's important stuff that you don't think about because it's not, you know, it's not flashy. Yeah. It's the, it's the most boring thing. I had to like turn it up to like 35 just to like get over the boringness of email marketing. But <laughs> you get, that's you get. what I try and do. I try and make this fun when it's normally boring. Yeah. You, you, you're you like walking back like a motivational speaker at, at GDC, like getting everyone pumped up about email marketing, <laughs> right? Well, I actually, I talked to the sound guy. I was like, I don't want the lav mic. Give me the microphone. And the guy was like, there it is. And I was like, yes. And so I think I'm like the only talk that GDC that had like the microphone at the thing because I really want to like bring it up. That's the secret to getting a good talk. Just, just have the mic right there. Yeah, right there. Like Chris Rock. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you write stuff like 10... 10 quick store page improvements to get your game ready for a Steam summer uh, summer sale, that, that kind of thing. Really practical stuff. And we're getting tons of questions. And I saw there's a lot of people too that already subscribe to your newsletter, email marketing about email marketing. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, I, I do consulting. So uh, studios, either independent studios, publishers, uh, games as a service folks, they'll hire me to kind of optimize their marketing for them. And, you know, I learn things along the way. And what I do is I publish a weekly newsletter that just talks about stuff I've seen, stuff that other indies have done that's really good, or stuff that I've experimented with and has worked. Uh, mm -hmm. So I write those out. It's um, To join that, just go to my website, howtomarketagame.com, and then click the thing that at the top that says free stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you sign up. It's not spammy because I'm an honest email marketer that just gives out good <laughs> stuff. And so uh, if you want some tips that come in weekly, join my newsletter, howtomarketagame.com. There's all these games that are out. Um, how do you get the word out? Yeah, I think here's the thing that I think the, the problem that not a lot of people talk about that indies have, like, of course, the visibility, there's thousands of games. I think the biggest problem, though, is that a lot of people are starting at zero. So they have zero mm -hmm. following, no followers, or very small followers. And I think time is kind of working against them. Basically, it's impossible to launch a game from nothing. So mm -hmm. you have to build up that audience and it takes longer than just one game. So, and I think that's a problem that a lot of indies run into and they don't even realize it because they, they are only thinking about their game. And it actually, every game you release is gonna be bigger and bigger and bigger. And one thing, it's not quite an indie game, but I like to kind of remind people is like, if you think about The Witcher, like the first one, the first Witcher was like a cult hit that only like the yeah. cool kids knew about. Then the second one was kind of like a small indie sized, you know, like, oh, all the people who are into games know about this. And then the third Witcher is like, has a Netflix show. So uh, <laughs> to, it's important to have that perspective. And I don't think a lot of indies have that. They think, oh, my first game failed. I'm dead. You know, oh, this business is terrible. But 
that's just the, the word of this business is you have to build up your reputation, both just like knowing people like Chris Graff and Alyssa, you know, just knowing the people behind the scenes in the industry, but also just building a fan base. And it takes longer than just one game. So I'd say the biggest problem that a lot of indies have is one, just being patient and having that time horizon. I understand like you got to make a living, but the time horizon of building a studio that makes hit games takes a long time. So I think that's one of the biggest problems that doesn't get talked about enough about. Yeah. I'm going to kind of cut in here because you talk, no, you touched ahead. on something that someone in chat is kind of curious about. Um, you mentioned like uh, your first game didn't do too well and then being able to like bounce back with your other games and effectively scale up and get a bigger audience there. What if that um, you launch a game unsuccessfully? Is there any tips you have for like bouncing that back? Uh, Katrina right in chat um, said that, how do you market a game that has initially launched unsuccessfully? It's a good game, but nobody really knows about it. Release another one. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know it's hard to hear, but um, it's actually quite a resource to have a game that didn't quite hit. Um, Steam, first, Steam, um, and uh, one of the things I specialize in in my consulting business is just how Steam works, just understanding mm -hmm. the algorithms and just the process of marketing game on Steam. Um, Steam actually has pretty good visibility, even if your game didn't sell well. Like if you look at your stats, you're store page gets viewed like a thousand times a week or a day, depending mm -hmm. on the size of your game. That's huge. Like that's, and you don't even have to do anything. Your game's just sitting out on steam. You get a lot of just like passive traffic that way. So one thing is just use that, uh, that game that didn't sell well as kind of a marketing piece for your next game. So either I would say, keep it in the same genre, unless you totally hate that game. <laughs> You're like, I'm done with that. Keep it in the same genre, same cinematic universe or game universe. And one thing you can do is like super discount your game. Every time you discount your game, you attract more people who have wishlisted it and see it for the first time. And so what you're doing is you're just taking everybody who passively saw the first game and you're telling them to get the second one. And you can do things like um, give away keys. Just say one of the best thing you can do, and people will do anything for a Steam key. That's one of the magic things. If you just get like a thousand Steam keys and just give your free game away or give your game away for free, people are gonna love you for that. And what you're doing is you're basically marketing and getting followers for your second game. And that's kind of how you build it. It's kind of like uh, Costco free samples. If, if you've ever been in a Costco in the US, you know, there's always that lady with the, with like the meatballs for free. And then you eat when you're like, oh, I want the full case of meatballs now. That's kind of what you want to treat your first game that didn't sell well. It's, it's a little marketing piece that you can give away and then people fall in love with you and then buy your second and third game. Marketing, so, marketing meatball theory. I should write that. That's a good Gamma Sutra blog post. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, can I get, I'll get the headline for ready for you right now? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, so. When, when you're making, uh, well, you know what? I need to go to the uh, chat because it's absolutely going Every time crazy I here. flag a question, like I want to ask this one four more pop up above it. I, I'm looking say. between like, you know, like, should I ask my question? It's like, yeah, I'm going to ask someone here. So like Ryan, uh, Ryan Kelly, he's getting a lot of upvotes on this. Um, for a new indie game developer, what specifically can our company do to hit our first milestone on social media followers, say 1000 plus? without having mutual connections? Well, okay, a couple of things. Um, so the first thousand, here's, here's what I would do, is mutual connections. Re first, I'd reach out to other people that are kind of at the same scale and same, same type of game as you, other indie devs on social media, and just reach out to them and just offline, just kind of talk to them, say, hey, I'm making the same game as you are, you are, hey, let's show each other as audiences. And so basically hmm. you kind of form this cabal with this other, 
indie dev and do like three or four. Now, not all of them are going to be a game for this because some people are like suspicious of other people that have similar games. <laughs> don't be, don't be suspicious of other people, but kind of form a cabal and say like, hey, we're all going to retweet each other's stuff, you know? And then because you're, you're pooling followings basically. So somebody who has, let's say you're making a platformer because all indies make platformers first, young studios. You find other people who are making platformers at the same time, their audience probably likes platformers and your audience does. So if you just cross promote each other, that's a great way to build followers. And um, that used to be like follow Friday, hashtag FF. That actually mm -hmm. works really well. Indies, it's kind of too cool. A lot of kids are too cool for school to do follow Fridays anymore. Cause you know, Twitter is so cool now, um, <laughs> but it actually works pretty well. I've seen a lot of people who, even though it's corny to do follow Friday, a lot of people get a lot of traffic that way. And then with your cabal cross promote each other. Say, Hey, uh, this guy just uh, released a new trailer. You should follow their game because it's really cool. And then with the agreement that they're going to do that to your trailer when you release it. So it's really important to form that community of similar developers to you and just kind of really work that. And you'll kind of, I'd say once you get to about thousand, you're pretty good. So um, kind of work that way. Yeah. See, th this is this is why uh, people listen to you. Yeah, that, that's that's very practical stuff. Um, so you, you talk about like Steam a lot, and people are afraid of of Steam a little bit because there's just so much stuff on it. Uh, one of the basic things you talk about is making a store page. Can you and you've blogged about it, but can you kind of give a rundown of some of the most important pieces of a Steam store page and why the Steam store page needs to be good? Okay. So the store page is the very bottom, what they, we call the funnel. And I won't go into the funnel, read a blog post about the funnel. It's the very last thing that everybody has to do. Like if somebody's going to buy your game, they have to go through your Steam page. Every single person who ever is going to own your game will have seen your store, store page. So it's the most important thing. It's like the, the final link in the chain. So that's why just at a bare minimum, it has to do, be good. So if you've got a good store page, it makes all the rest of your marketing better because, you know, like, let's say you get a streamer and they say, oh, and they link to your page. If your page is terrible, you're going to lose traffic that way. But if it's a good page, it improves the, the click-through rate from that streamer. So magically, kind of like all your marketing becomes better when you clean up the very bottom of the funnel, which is your store page. So the basic thing that I would say for a store page is a lot of people don't realize how much they don't know what their own game is. <laughs> so it sounds weird. Like you're working on this game for years. Um, you're so close to it, you can't see what type of game you actually have. But sh Steam shoppers are very genre-based. In other words, they're like, I like this type of game. We're all, probably everybody listening to this podcast is like omnivores, where we try all types of games, silly games, weird games. Mm -hmm. The average Steam user is not so omnivorous. They're very, they're like, I like builder games. That's it. That builder games or city builders. Um, and what you need to do is make sure that your game is absolutely clear what type of game it is. So it's saying like, I, this is a city builder or this is an RPG and you have to know your, your subdivision of genre. And then you've got to be very clear, this is my type of game. Uh, I find some indies, they, their page is like such a smorgasbord of things. You can't tell quite mm -hmm. what the game is. Your game has to be so obvious that players are like, yes, that's the game I want. Well, what, are some, what are some, not, not nerd, but like, what's a, what's a bad example? Like a, a, you said some are like a smorgasbord of of stuff. Um, I think the biggest one, and this one is like um, RPGs typically fall into this problem where you know there's like turn-based RPGs, there's you know story-based, you know there's a, there's a lot of subgenres like JRPGs. You know, a lot of times when indies do it, and it could be an action RPG like a Zelda game, mm -hmm. they don't quite know what they're making because it's hard to make a game. 
And so they're not very specific when they're making their store page. And there are certain clues that you can add to your store page to make it more obvious. Like if it's a very turn-based, like classical CRPG, you know, like a Baldur's Gate or something, mm -hmm. you know, showing the grid of how you can move and showing movement points and all these little clues that say, I'm a Baldur's Gate style RPG is totally different than like a JRPG with like, you know, crazy hair and like, you mm -hmm. know, all these kind of tropes that are common. And I, I don't think indies are playing into the tropes as much. They think they have to be the most original game you've ever seen. Um, and they're afraid of cliches or tropes, but that can actually be very good for people shopping on Steam because tropes help them identify, oh, it's this type of game. Okay. I guess as someone who's like, I've never built a Steam page before, I'm not a marketer or an indie developer. Um, if I were to just approach this, I would be like, I want my thing to show up in as many categories to people this would appeal to as possible. So my instinct would probably be to like over tag, but you're saying a more kind of focused approach that really gets to the meat of your game is what's going to pay off in the end. Oh, that's a perfect setup, Alyssa. That's a perfect point. Everybody does the same. <laughs> they try and go towards, I like you said, get all the tags. And then I'm like a buffet where I'm like, it's almost like, uh, not, that's a cast version of Cheesecake Factory. But you know, Cheesecake Factory's menu is like this fat. And it's like every Cheesecake Factory is going to be so mad at us. Like if you're, yeah. <laughs> you're going to lose that final cheese Cheesecake funding, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know how it's like, they're everything. They make every type of food and all of it is kind of like, a six and a half. Mm. <laughs> no, no, no offense if you like Cheesecake Factory a lot. But versus like that neighborhood shop that like does just chicken wings mm. that are perfect, you know? And mm. it's like, that's what you want your game. Applebee's, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chili's, you know, they're meat poppers or something. I don't know. Do they have something called meat poppers? I, just made them, I was going back to the meatballs. The back to the meatballs. <laughs> But anyway, so let's, let's, but anyway, where was the analogy going? What I'm saying is you want to be specific so that the person who absolutely loves your type of game is like, finally, this is the game for me. Whereas mm -hmm. if you are trying to be everything for everyone, like you're just like, I am generic RPG. There's a lot of subdivision. Like people who like JRPGs typically don't like CRPGs, computer mm -hmm. are playing games. And that's why you have to be specific on Steam versus saying like, I'm an action RPG and a JRPG and a CRPG, you know, like that's a bad way of going about it. You gotta be specific. And it sounds counterintuitive, but there's more strength in being more similar. And the reason is, here's the quick reason, is Steam likes to compare games. So if they've got, let's say Baldur's Gate, I don't even know if that's on Steam, but let's say, um, like Fallout mm -hmm. 3. Um, I don't even know if that is on Steam. I can't remember. Yeah, it's, they're, they're both on Steam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember. Um, so then what you want is like, if you're making a game very similar to Fallout, you want, Steam likes to put games that are similar next to each other because they know that pe how long people play Fallout 3. And so they say, we want to recommend games that for people who play Fallout 3. And so you want, when you're more clear in your tags, which is how Steam knows what type of game you have, when you're very clear on your tags, Steam's absolutely sure. It's like, this is a Fallout-like RPG game. And so mm -hmm. they're gonna recommend you right next to it. Whereas if it doesn't know what you are, there's other games that are better tagged. So think of it like a grab bag, like Steam's like reaching around, like what game should I show next to mm -hmm. somebody who likes Fallout 3? If they're like, if you're like generic RPG with no defining characteristics, they're like, I'm just going to pass on that game. I'm going to grab this game that's very similar to Fallout 3. So I'm that's just imagining why... Gabe Newell like reaching in that bag of random uh, and Steam one? games. And it's a, it's a golden sack. It's <laughs> just like, he like, pulls out. Um, with all that in mind, like Steam in the past, like there's been like a, a slight algorithm change and it's like in the apocalypse, all everyone is just like, my algorithms are like, nothing, I'm not getting recommended anymore. Like, is that kind of like future proof or is there a way to future proof on Steam or just to kind of like account for those weird algorithm hiccups that are gonna happen? 
life is unpredictable. I don't know. We, we, we do this for the love of it, not because it's predictable. I don't know. It's, it's chaos. Yeah. I mean, this kind of goes, okay. This kind of goes to email marketing, why I like mm -hmm. email so much. Um, okay. So yes, the algorithm changes and you can totally be blown away. That last biggest one was like 2018, 2019 period. Uh, they changed. There was a section at the bottom called more like this. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden steam made that basically a money gatekeeper. So you have to make a certain amount of money. If you look at the more like this section under every game, it's a lot of the same games. You keep seeing the same ones over and over again. That's because Steam, it turns out the best algorithm is just to show the most popular game. Yeah. <laughs> so Steam, it's kind of a winner take all down there. And they yeah. changed that. It used to be much more egalitarian. That's one of those changes you're talking about, Alyssa. Mm -hmm. So a lot of indies yeah. got hurt by that. Um, and you just got to keep learning how the algorithms change and evolve. Typically by subscribing to mailing lists by uh, well-documented, researched uh consultants, marketing consultants, how to market a game.com slash free. It's how you subscribe to these kind of mailing lists that keep you up to the date. You should also listen to Gama Sutra because they are always up to date with uh, the latest mm -hmm. industry news. That's how you stay up to date on these sort of things. All so, business, all the time. Gama Sutra. Always be closing. Always be closing. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to take some questions from chat because there's just, uh, they're, they're unstoppable. Uh, okay. So uh, Joseph Tate getting a bunch of likes here. How soon into a game's development should marketing be taken into account? Does it depend largely on the project scale? Immediately. Like it, it's mm -hmm. like a tree. Best was mm -hmm. five years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if you're asking now, it was yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The main thing. Okay. Here's one thing that I don't think indies realize enough is your game is marketing. I mean, it's called the product. It's the marketing mix, but one of the, there's the marketing mix is, I think it's four piece. I always forget. Product is one of them. And, your product is marketing. So Steam actually has a very genre taste. Like everybody makes platformers. I make platformers, but they don't sell very well on Steam because the Steam audience largely doesn't like platformers. They like builders, RPGs, strategy, grand strategy style games, simulations. They like those type of games. So when you don't pick one of those, you've made the biggest marketing decision of your life. Like all the other marketing decisions, like whether you use Twitter or TikTok or whatever, pale in comparison to the choice of what type of game you're making. So you've already made that choice because you said you were making a game. That's your, you've already started marketing. Um, I think your deeper question might be, should I start a Steam page? Yes, you should make a Steam page, release it now. Um, the only time a lot of people ask, when should I make my Steam page? The only time I'd say hold off on releasing a Steam page is if you're a well-known developer, you've got a hit game or you're a well-known developer, then you can hold back and make a reveal because you can get free press from that. You can go to the press outlets and say, I'm getting ready to launch a game. Do you want the exclusive announcement to release my game? And you can get a good boost of traffic off of that. But if this is your first game or nobody knows who you are, yeah, do, do just put the Steam page out there. It, it'll get better. Just yeah. put it out. No excuses. <laughs> no more excuses. Yep, um, <laughs> uh, on the same kind of topic of starting your marketing early and keeping it going throughout, Aaron in chat wants to know, is Discord on the rise as a marketing tool or do you really see it more as a community management resource? Um, okay, so in the funnel, uh, I, I got to talk about the funnel. It's like gravity. You can't yeah, talk let's about talk about the funnel. Why not talk, talk about the funnel? funnel. Let's do okay, it. so the let's funnel is, um, people think marketing is just like, do the things, do all the things. Unfortunately, some things are good at the top of the funnel and some things are middle and some are at the bottom. And what I mean by that is the funnel is the way people interface with the game is when they first hear about it, they're at the top of the funnel. And then they just kind of trickle down through gravity and eventually get to the bottom. And what the bottom is, buy your game. Now, some things are very good at the top of the funnel. Like they're big, loud, like TikTok is the ultimate top of the funnel. Top of the funnel means somebody didn't hear about you, but then they did. So that's TikTok. Like you can go super viral on there. People who have never heard of you all of a sudden know what your game is. 
Unfortunately, typically stuff that's good at the top of the funnel isn't good lower funnel because you can't really re-engage with those people. You're not forming a relationship with them. So um, Discord is very good middle of the funnel. Like nothing goes viral on Discord. There's no like viral mm -hmm. Discord. Um, the only people who join your Discord are people who have heard of you and are at least interested in your project. That's why it's middle of the funnel. Maybe they maybe you had a great TikTok that went viral and one of your links on, on Discord or on TikTok was come join the Discord. So that's why I'm saying Discord is good middle of the funnel. And the thing about the middle of the funnel is you're keeping contact with people in that Discord. So you're like reminding them like, hey, five days until launch, four days to launch, three days. You're constantly remarketing to them. And Discord's actually pretty good at that. Um, it's good at forming that com com you know, the community, keeping engaged with those people. That's why it's good mid funnel. So I don't know if that answered your question, but Discord, I recommend it, do it. Yeah, what about the, the, the very bottom? Very bottom of funnel is like call, call to action, click on purchase now, right? Yep. Yeah, Steam. The funny thing is Steam is both the top and the bottom of the funnel. The, mm -hmm. Steam is the whole funnel um, <laughs> it, because you discover games, sure. all yeah. of the developer, you wishlist it, you hear about their development, and then you buy it. So Steam is all levels of the funnel. Steam is all consuming. Oh, Gabe, it is all consuming. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how it works. Uh, so on the topic of platforms, um, Misha in chat is kind of curious about your opinion on platforms like uh, Itch or SideQuest VR, Humble Bundle versus more high bar platforms like Steam, Oculus Storage, GOG Galaxy. Do you feel that if you build traction on a smaller platform, moving to a large one is easier? Um, <laughs> Steam. Okay, so Steam is pretty much the only game in town if you want to make money, like mm -hmm. to, to really make an earning. Like Itch, you just can't sell very well. But it, it, the cool thing about Itch is it's very... Um, you can really build a dedicated following there. It's kind of, like I said, it's just kind of mid funnel where it's like, you really build a community there. Um, I do a lot of these research where I reverse engineer like into great depth of how these games became popular. One of them is Valheim. I don't know if people realize Valheim was on itch for a long time. Like they're running alphas and betas on itch. And if you look at it, they had like, I think it was like 53 followers on itch, but it was like a really passionate followers. And because they were having that open development, it really rolled forward into their development on Steam. So that kind of, you know, community building on a smaller platform like Itch is good. So you got to use it right. You're not going to make a lot of money on Itch, but it's great to form a community there. And if you can hear, I've got a cat who likes to yell at me when I talk. So <laughs> my my door buzzer why, just went off for the first time in a podcast, so we're good. So if you're wondering why my talking sounds like meowing, it's because I have a crazy cat. So. I thought that was just uh, my imagination there. Uh, <laughs> no, nope, it's not. That's Lily. I, 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 want, I want to squeeze this one in because uh, it's it got a ton of likes right away. But uh, Tremaine, hey, Tremaine. Uh, Tremaine's been hanging out with us all week. Um, Let's see. As an indie, how do you stand out and make those connections within gaming publications slash blogs without coming off as quote unquote thirsty? <laughs> thirsty. <laughs> it's after hours here on the GDC showcase. Okay, so Gama Sutra. Okay. <laughs> so um okay, so how do you do it? Um make relationship. I okay. Um I think the big thing is you kind of I don't, I don't quite know. I, it's got me flustered here. Jermaine, what's it? Um, uh, Tr Tremaine, yeah. Tremaine. Mm -hmm. um, I think the main thing is just to be public. I think one of the problems is that indies, um, they don't, they're not persistent enough. Sometimes, like, don't be creepy persistent, but um, again, thirsty, but three times, like, follow up with them like a few times. Don't just give up, um, but also make good content. Like, 
have a have an interesting Twitter feed, have a good blog, have good YouTube yeah. videos that advertise that stuff. So they have something. So it's not just like you just hitting them up and saying like, cover my game. They can like, when they check you out, cause on Twitter, they're gonna like check out your tweets and stuff. They wanna see that history of you doing interesting stuff. So you gotta give them a reason to cover you. Um, but ultimately sometimes, and I, I hate, just to be honest, like one of the big problems is not that you're being persistent enough. It's a lot of times the game just isn't interesting. Like sometimes, you know, I, I see a lot of games and they're like, well, the press isn't covering me. And, and I look at them like, well, the graphics aren't that great. And it's nobody in particular. I'm not trying to single anybody out, but it's yeah. like your graphics have to be very interesting. You're, the type of game you have to be is a popular game. Um, it's a lot of times the press isn't covering you just because your game's not interesting. Um, mm -hmm. not, I'm not talking to you, Tremaine. <laughs> Are there any kind of in like the aggregate resources? Because it seems like you need to make sure your game has some kind of hook to get press to lean into it more. Are there any kind of like resources that you would recommend devs look at to be like, okay, here's what I can look at to see kind of like what's trending or what would work well or how I can f better shape my game to be hookier? Yeah, um, I don't know. Here's here's one thought that I kind of have. I don't have a well-formed thought on this, but um, one thing is I don't think the press matters as much as it used to. Hey, Chris, um, come, hey. I mean, Gama Sutra. <laughs> we're dead, we're dead, we're dead. I don't mean the press. I mean, like, okay, what I mean by this is uh, the, like, enthusiast press, like, IGNs of the world. Uh, I'm just saying Gabe, IGN. I'm going for the big guys. GameSpot, those sort of things. Um, they don't matter as much. They, I love them. I love them uh, so much. But um, it's more... Um, it's more your community that building that'll get you there. So uh, at the expense of making your game super hooky and weird and out there, sure that might attract the press, but a lot of times press doesn't write about your game until it becomes popular. Like yeah. to, to go back to Valheim, like Valheim isn't that hooky of a game. It's just really good and fun. So mm. I, I, I caution indies from being too weird and like trying to chase the press to cover you because it's weird and hooky because you're going to actually alienate your audience who just wants like a cool Viking game where you like chop down trees. Yeah. Like that's, that's mm. what the audience wants. So I don't know. I, and a lot of times the press doesn't cover you until you're popular. Like Valheim didn't become popular because it got good press. It got popular because it built a community by offering open development through betas and that sort of thing. So I actually caution indies from chasing the press too much. Yes. Gama Sutra excluded. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm okay. like a game rolling. on Gama Sutra. Great. <laughs> yeah, I was I was I was gonna say like pretty much the same thing. Like, you know, I um, I've been doing this for a, like a pretty darn long time now, working on the business covering the industry side of it. And then um it, like we, for, for example, with you, if, if you're, you're kind of, I'm aware that when you blog on Gama Sutra, like there's also the side benefit of somebody signing up for your mailing list. But the reason why we feature your blogs is because they are practical and they have value. So if you think about, like you thought about the value that your content that you make could give to our audience of game developers. So then we're like, oh yeah, this is this is awesome. So it becomes mutually beneficial. And you're totally right. It's no knock on the enthusiast press. It's just the um, it, it's it's the state of of things. Like you're not gonna like go around on itch and look for the Viking game with fifty followers or 50 players or whatever like we cover Val like e even on our site we don't cover Valheim because we think it's going to be popular we cover the popularity of it as a phenomenon you know that's happening so uh, I'm just reiterating everything that you said like <laughs> uh, like building the building like these days uh building the community is so much 
uh, more, uh, you know, especially for indies, you know, than, oh, IGN, you know, even if IGN did cover your game, that's not a guarantee it's going to move the needle on sales. So, I don't know. That's I have a lot of stuff. Well, you should be editor well. of like a big major news, <laughs> news organization. It's a really well. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know if that would work out, but good to dream <laughs> big. Good to dream big. Um, pulling from Stephen and chat here, you talked about pricing a little bit earlier and how a deep discount for your game can act as kind of like a marketing tool and promotion. Um, he wants to know what are your thoughts on medium to long term pricing strategies on Steam. For example, I know Axiom Verge made a conscious decision not to discount for the first year and even past that to not really do deep discounts. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend not discounting the game. I, like, and here's here's why. And and you got to be careful with your discounts. Um, you don't want to just every time you discount a lower amount, a lot of uh, game um, fans will follow your game based on the price, and they can set these limits where it's like, oh, I get notified only when it's fifty percent off, seventy five percent off. If you go drop too deep of a discount, they only get notified when it's a new low, and you only have one. It's a limited resource. You only have so many lows, so. As far as your discount strategy, I would discount in a stair-step fashion. Don't discount too deep right away because you just gave your game away. But Steam is, it's kind of like JCPenney. I'm, I'm, I'm covering Costco, JCPenney, all these. <laughs> at least, at least Do they exist anymore, Chris? Jeez. I don't know. I, I haven't left the house in a while. I mean, come on, wait. <laughs> Who knows? There? It's a pandemic there. out there. Like, I'm not going to anyway, Penny's. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so with JCPenney, if you go like, one week, it's like 50% off. And then the next week, it's buy one, get one off. You're like, well, that's the same thing. But they just are always like discounting it in creative ways because the audience at JCPenney is tuned for discounts. And actually, JCPenney, about five years ago, tried to get away with that. They're like, we're going to stop mm -hmm. with this discount nonsense. We're just going to give you the honest price. And nobody bought yeah. clothes from <laughs> JCPenney because they were like, I I'm here for the discounts. The type of people who shop it. JCPenney's are there for the discounts. The people who shop on Steam are there for the discounts. It, <laughs> and your one indie game is not going to change that. I hate to say it. Like, you can't make a stand. Like, Axiom Verge did well, but for other reasons, it's a really good game. Um, and so I don't recommend having a principled stand where you say, like, I'm never going to discount my game because a lot of the visibility associated with Steam is built around the expectation that you're going to discount. Um, you get an email, back to email marketing, when your game goes on sale. Essentially, Steam is just email marketing that you don't own the mailing list. You just, when you get wish lists and you discount, people get a notification. They get an email that your game's on sale. That's the most powerful thing on Steam. And you can only do that, you can only send out that email if you discount. So you're, if you can fight the tide, but you're gonna lose. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. the honest base of it, but just do it responsibly. Slowly step down. Yeah. If you're at 20%, 30% discount, keep it at that as long as you can until it stops working and then do a big discount typically around the seasons, like the winter season, the summer sales, they have big sales. People get buyer's fever. So if you do a deep discount at that time, they do fear of missing out where people are like, oh, if I don't buy it now, it's never going to be this cheap. So I always do my deepest discounts at seasons, at yeah. big seasonal sales. So is there data behind, like if you, if you do a discount and your game sees X amount of sales, is there a way you can kind of look at that and use that to inform how you should discount next or your strategy there at all? Um, there, I don't have those kind of like honest numbers. Like I haven't done that research, okay. but you can, there are sites. There's this one, I think it's called, is there a deal? Or I think it's that, I can't, I can't remember. There's so many like third party steam yeah. sites. Um, I think it's called, is there a deal? But people can set an alert for 50% or 70%. Typically people have set it at 50 or seven for any game. So they sign up for this service and they just monitor the price on steam. And the service will email these people when the game 
reaches their set target. So you can go to, you can look up your game. I think it's called, is there a game? Is there a deal? Um, is there any deal? I think. Is there any deal? That's right. Yeah. And you look up your game and you can see where people have reserved an alert. And so you could see, and the trick here is it's not proportional because a very small portion of people do this, but you can kind of see where people are holding out for your game. They're like, if you see a bunch of people at the 50%, you're like, oh, you got a pretty good game. If everybody's waiting for like the 90% off, you're like, oh, damn, <laughs> I guess my game's not that. So that's where you kind of judge how you want to discount just based on kind of seeing what the, the people on the internet are, are waiting for. Yeah. Oh man, this, this podcast is going extremely fast. Um, <laughs> so like I, we're supposed to do, do a break. Um, we're going to go ahead and do that. Um, please don't go away. Polystream is bringing cloud gaming into the next generation with command streaming technology. Today's cloud gaming services render games on far-off GPU-enabled servers to stream video representations of gameplay to a user. But Polystream's command streaming is different. Polystream servers send a game's graphics commands to players' GPUs for an experience more akin to that of a locally installed game. Polystream's command streaming tech can enable incredibly immersive games, 3D interactive apps, and synchronous social experiences. To find out more, go to www.polystream.com or visit gamedeveloper.com and search Polystream. That's P-O-L-Y-S-T-R-E-A-M for our interview with CEO Bruce Grove. The peers were back. Uh, all right. We only have like 10 minutes. Thanks for sticking around. We still are going to try to cover as much as possible. But first, the most important question, um, Matthew Canada asks, what is the name of your cat? It is Lily. Lily. All right. <laughs> Hi, Lily. Ironically, though, you know what's a weird thing about Lily? I didn't realize this. It's poisonous <laughs> for cats. I, apparently, the yeah. pollen for lilies is oh. poisonous. So we named like even cat. a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, just like I read about that and I was like, why do we name our cat Lily? So it's kind of like, I don't know. We're going to spend the rest of the time talking about Lily and and Lily's. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. Uh, all right. Let's let's take uh, Matthew Schrader's question real quick. We're just going to take as many as we want. Alyssa, you and I can go back and forth. Um, cool. Matthew Schrader. Hey, Chris, in your opinion, what should the Steam page of a text-based adventure game look like? I've seen others do screenshots of text. That doesn't seem like much of a grab, however. That is hard. I don't know. I That is a really hard one. It doesn't um, do well with screenshots and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I think the most important thing is if you can do any type of animation. I mean, I don't know what your game is like, but hey, you know, maybe add some cool animation when you use text or anything. Showcase that. That's the best case. Um, white text on black does really poorly. So maybe even add a mode just for marketing purposes that makes the text easier to see. Um, just to make it easier to screenshot. That's all I got. <laughs> That's what I can think. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I meant to mention it before the break. I was going to give a big announce. Like, I'm announcing it here on the GDC Showcase podcast. Oh, yeah. I'm that. launching this class for free, totally free, 100%. It's live now. It's called howtomakeasteampage.com. Every single thing that I know about making a Steam page, it's in this class. So go to howtomakeasteampage.com. Don't Google it. It doesn't show up yet because I literally just pushed the live button just a day ago. It's totally free, 100%. And I just go through step-by-step -step how to do screenshots, how to do videos, all that kind of stuff. So enroll and uh, you're going to see me with the same purple background talking about how to make a Steam page. So do it. 
Do it. Do we drop that link in chat? I did. Let's see if I get banned for it. I don't know what our policies are on links, actually. <laughs> get banned, banned your by your own stuff. coworker, yeah. Who knows? It's one way to find out. Um, I guess I'm going to rapid fire in here real quick. Uh, two-parter. Two-parter. Um, first part, uh, about how much marketing budget of, like, a total game's budget do you think they should set aside for marketing? Um, I don't know what you consider marketing, but I think the best thing that you can add, do is capsule art for Steam. That is super important. Like, and those cost about $500 to $700. That's really good. And then I would also budget for a trailer. I think those run in like the $3,000 range for a low end and it goes up forever after that. That's good. I'd also uh, budget for shows, like try and get into Mix. I think Mix was like two or $300. Those shows, find out if they've got a Steam page. Those get thousands of wish lists if you get in a show like The Mix or uh, the Steam Festival is free, but there's a lot of shows. Uh, I think E3 has one. Anything that takes over a Steam page is worth the money because you get so many thousands of wish lists. Digital Dragons is one. So I would mm -hmm. budget for those three things. That's what's worth spending money on. On the opposite side of that, uh, say that you're a student dev or just a developer that doesn't have a lot of budget at their disposal. Uh, disposal. What are kind of the your quick tips for things they can do to maximize the most of either a little bit of money or no money at all? Yeah, uh, what I would do is organize with other indies in your boat. I don't think enough indies do that where it's like form up communities and try and cross promote each other. That's where you're all just pour together and you're just like cross promoting each other. That's a really good thing. Um, uh, I think that's one of the big ones and like steam festival do that um those sort of things that are high visibility but don't cost money that's that's good um so yeah i would i would do that it's it's mainly try and network that's that's the best thing is network with as many people as you can because it sounds like you have more time than money so network 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 try and talk to other indies in your boat about what's worked for them that's what i would spend my time and budget on is, is working in the community all right. Uh, we'll hit Aaron Clifford's question that's been hanging out here for a bit. I don't think we got to it yet. It's about crowdfunding. Uh, is crowdfunding still viable as a means of fundraising slash early marketing, or has that ship sailed? I don't I don't know very well. I've, I haven't run a Kickstarter campaign. I don't do that. But okay. I have seen some charts where um, they're earning more money. It's just fewer games are doing it. So in other <laughs> words, essentially, it's, it's just becoming more focused. And I think the, what that says is that people aren't thinking that they can just get rich by throwing up some junk thing on Kickstarter. I think people are just getting more serious and more professional about it. So from what I've seen, and I don't know firsthand, uh, it's still viable if you're professional about it. Yeah, I concur too. And on Gamma Sutra, we're gonna be running something about uh, some game developers that are using Patreon. So you don't often think about Patreon as you know something to integrate with your community and build it and also earn an income, but some indies are making that work for them. So something to consider maybe. Um, I lost a question from chat, so I'm gonna paraphrase it and I'm sorry, I'm not crediting this one. Um, uh, so you have like early access, you have demos, you have betas and alphas. What are your kind of opinions on those different kind of like pre-release releases that people do? And I guess how to maximize, are they worth doing? Are they any good? Oh yeah, and I, that's a good free one. Run as many betas and alphas if you can, like a lot of narrative based single shot games where you just play through it. It's kind of hard to do this. But one of the benefits of games that are like builders, complex, run as many alphas, betas, you can run multiple betas. I mean, and, and what you do is a lot of people will come to you because they wanna play your game for free and give you advice. That's great marketing opportunities. Um, so I would definitely run those sort of things. Um, and that's 
uh, we're talking about Valheim all the time. That's what they did. They did a lot of alphas, a lot of betas, and several times. And there's streamers, alpha beta gamer. Just search him on YouTube. That guy, if you get featured in his videos, you got like a couple hundred wish lists right there. Because that guy loves to. He's got a great community who will follow games that have a beta. So. Those are the kind of things. Definitely do betas and alphas. Definitely. Peter Varga um, asks, do you believe, and this is prior to listening to anything you've said tonight, that indie, especially solo designers slash devs, should, um, <laughs> if not necessarily do their own marketing by themselves, be involved actively and learn about it? Thanks. Is he asking if indie should do he, he's, Yeah, I, th I think that he's um, asking... Um, if not, if, should we not, if not do our own marketing by themselves, be in, involved with it actively? I, I would say, yeah, probably. Yes. Do it. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Do it. Um, is there like a certain yeah. kind of building off that? Cause that's my thing today. Um, is there like a certain, if you have like a marketing team, like someone you're paying to do marketing as like a small team game developer, is there knowledge that you need to know to make the most of that relationship? Um, I think the best thing is you should know the type of game you have. And I always say, break it down to four, like the four key gameplay loop, what those items are, and make sure that you tell your, if you're working with PR, it sounds like that's what you're maybe asking Alyssa is mm -hmm. when you're working with like a PR agency or something, you tell them because they don't always get it quite right. And that's not on them. It's just, they don't know. They don't, they haven't been with you all that time. So make sure that's absolutely clear. Like these are the things uh, that is about our game. And then also what your goals are and be very clear what you want the CTA, the call to action to be to say, Hey, we're really trying to get as many wishlist PR agency. So make sure in your press releases, you mention our steam page and that we want wishlist or we're running a beta and we want to pitch to get as many people to play this free beta. Here's a link to the beta sign up. You want to make sure that you know what you're doing because what you want out of the relationship with the marketing PR agency or consultant, you know, if you're hiring a consultant, what you want out of it, because they know they they can't read your mind, so you have to be upfront and clear. So that's one thing that I would really recommend. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, Gia asks, how useful is it to release a demo of the game? Can this act as a soft release for your game to get the initial momentum that you, you're supposed to get? You know, out of your first failed game. There's some like, things. Release a demo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you should release a demo it, sp sporadically um, because a couple of things is a demo can get you press. In other words, you can make an announce out of it. Say, hey, we're launching a demo and you you build up. You're always looking for these excuses to have a party kind of thing. And, and basically these PR pushes are just parties like, hey, we're having a demo and it's launching on Thursday. Everybody come, come, you know, like write an article about it. Also with those shows, like I was talking about, like the mix was just last this week, Steam festivals, they're, they're really featuring demos now on Steam. So you need a demo to kind of be active in those festivals. So absolutely you need a demo. It's, it's kind of a bringing it back. I remember playing Doom demos on an old three and a quarter inch floppy kids. So yeah, uh, I love how it's coming back. Email marketing's back, you know, yeah. shareware's back. All I want a PlayStation demo disc. That's, yeah. I will be so happy, just mail me one. <laughs> I was just going to say the, the Tony Hawk demo disc from Pizza Hut. Uh, that's one of the classic ones. Yeah. Let's mm -hmm. go uh, Pizza Hut. <laughs> There's so much food talk in podcast. <laughs> so I feel food like chain. it's almost yeah. dinner time. It's awesome. Uh, I'm going to ask, I mean, I'm going to ask this one. This one's interesting from Misha. Um, once a gamer has got your game, how much energy should you invest in them to help uh, give testimonials and help in, in the marketing of it? You, um, yeah. The, the advocate for your uh, for your product. I, I love the way this questioner is thinking about this. This is a great thought. You want to, um, 
Steam kind of has this thing where they say, oh, there's a dead game. Like if you're not updating it and supporting it in, in the community. You, nowadays, you don't just launch a game. It's, it's regularly patched. You're in the community. And when you show up like this and you show you're invested, they call you, a, the Steam will call you, the, the people on Steam will call you a good dev. That's, what they, that's their term for it. So you want to be a good dev because I find in my research, I did a, a talk about this, about how people shop on Steam. A lot, a lot of people shop on Steam because of friend recommendations. So their friend will like buy them a copy of the game. Their friend will say, you got to play this game. You got to buy it. Friend recommendations are very key in deciding whether you whether they buy a game or not. So definitely support your game. Yeah, I think like one last question and then I'm going to let you tell like where they can find you and reach out to you and all that kind of stuff. Um, Gia again asks, how effective is it? Because I think this is interesting. How effective is it to promote your game in game dev communities? It is good to do that, but just because of networking purposes, they'll tell you about stuff like, hey, there's a festival. Be sure to join this. Or I worked with this guy, uh, work with him again, uh, that kind of stuff. That's what's good about in dev communities. That's why you want to market in those communities. So. Awesome. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all the time we have. Um, geez, this is like seriously the, the best, uh, the best crowd, the best audience in chat. New um, record for questions asked. I think new record for how many we answered. We just like packed it in there. Great job. Yeah. Chris. We, yeah, yeah. Chris, your energy is absolutely off the charts. Love it. Um, now where can people get a hold of you if they have any questions or if they want to engage with you further? Howtomarketagame.com. That's my website. Join the mailing list. Go to howtomarketagame.com slash free. You join my mailing list and I, you basically get what you just experienced once a week from me in your inbox. This, this thing happened, this moment is in your inbox every week. So experience that. I just launched this new free class on how to make a Steam page at howtomakesteampage.com. Go do that, join the class, have fun, love each other. Um, that's it. Awesome, yeah, okay. Thanks again, everybody. Uh, thank you again, Chris, uh, for taking time to do this. Amazing guest. Uh, you can catch more GDC podcast episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Rate us well. Rate us to the sky.